Hey there, Buffalo Bills fans. Welcome back to Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast here on buffalorumblings.com and everywhere else you go to get your fine Buffalo Bills-related podcasts. We are so happy that you took the time this weekend to download and to listen to our podcast. My name is John Boccasino. Welcoming back a familiar voice from the past. We gave him a couple of weeks off, not because he was in the doghouse or in detention, but we thought Jamie needed a little bit of vacation. And, uh, you know, Jamie does great work with himself and Big Newt, but we're thrilled to have you back here, buddy. Buddy, it was it was seemed like years since I had spoken with you last. It is good to be back in the seat here. Thanks for letting me get away. I traveled internationally, and you know what? I could have recorded when I got back, but, ooh, that jet lag. If you don't mind, tell our audience where you traveled and if you had any Bills encounters. You know, I, I didn't have any Bills encounters, but I went to the UK, and I was in London, Edinburgh, Scotland, Manchester and Cardiff, Wales. And let me tell you, I've I've just got to tell you really quickly, Manchester is the greatest place I've ever visited. I have never loved people more. They're just so excited to speak to the person next to them. And that's how I live my life. And the absolute best line of that trip, John, you're going to appreciate this. This woman showed me a picture on her phone of her best friend, and he had two black eyes. And she, she said, check it out. He has two black eyes for two different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we were howling laughing. Yeah, for anyone who gets a chance, I highly recommend traveling You know, to Europe, to Wales. Wales was one of the most beautiful places I ever went uh, during a study abroad period. We did a little bit of outdoor excursions, and you're just amazed at how both beautiful and terrifying the weather can be. I mean, there's wind gusts that could sweep you up and blow you into the water. And there's all sorts of parameters set up as to how close you can get, but it's breathtaking. It's beautiful and it's simple. And I really enjoyed, you know, some of those trips over there. So I'm glad you had a good time on vacation. The podcast definitely survived, but it suffered without your, your dry sense of humor to bring on. I doubt that. I sincerely <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to talk to yourself for an entire pod with that self uh, sarcastic sense of humor seeking through. So well, I'm glad. Yeah. You know, doing it solo, it really makes you appreciate the people on the Buffalo rumblings network here that do it week after week, because speaking into a microphone with no interaction is very, very difficult. So Anthony Marino, Bruce Nolan, I, uh, I I just applaud those guys like you can't believe. Well, you are a welcome sight to have back here because, you know, you're right. You want to have we want this podcast to be engaging and as interactive as it can. And just getting a second voice to bring on the table to talk about our opinions and our topic for this week. It's really going to help. We think this is going to be a, a, a conversation driven podcast. We really hope that Bill's Mafia members will get involved with our podcast on social media. Jamie is at the Jamie D'Amico, and I am at John Boccasino. That's B-O-C-C-A-C-I-N-O. We welcome your follows. We welcome your interactions. Jamie, you and I both consider ourselves to be 
historical fans of the Buffalo Bills. And what I mean by that is we have some history with this team. We go back a while. Uh, we like to pay, pay tribute to the teams of the past. And so with that vein uh, being put out there, today's episode is going to be one that I think you're going to enjoy. We are going to take a look at the Buffalo Bills Wall of Fame and who should be the next member of the Wall of Fame. And by all accounts, the Bills are long overdue to bring another member onto the wall. Uh, this Wall of Fame was started in 1980. So for you non-math majors, that's 42 <laughs> years ago. And now in those 42 years, Jamie, there's only 31 names that have been honored. So they're averaging less than one honoree per year. The last member of the Bills Wall of Fame. Do you know who the last member was to get enshrined? Oh, okay. Let, let me think about this. Um, was it Cookie Gilchrist? It was Cookie freaking Gilchrist. 2017, the talented, legendary Bill from those AFL championship teams finally got his due, and he was put on the Wall of Fame as the 31st Member. Now, despite now, being one of the best players in Bill's history, Ralph Wilson was upset with him, and we know Ralph Wilson could hold grudges. And wasn't he the one who pledged that neither Cookie Gilchrist nor Lou Saban would ever be on the Wall of Fame? He did. And thankfully, I mean, what, that's one of the things about, yeah, Ralph Wilson uh, definitely was a, a bitter guy who could hold grudges as much as he did good for the city of Buffalo and keeping the bills and bringing the bills to Buffalo. The fact that Lou Saban didn't get inducted till 2015 and that Cookie Gilchrist didn't get in till 2017. I mean, you wouldn't have the glory days of the bills without your talented head coach and your talented tailback. So I'm glad that those wrongs got righted. Yeah, he, he was a petty guy. But now I have to ask you a question. Despite the fact that we are talking about the next Wall of Famer, it has been a while since they have inducted anybody to that. Do you think that the Pagulas are looking to try to get away from that and they're going to do away with the Wall of Fame when it comes to the new stadium? That's a really good question, Jamie, because right now, and there is speculation out there um, about the future of the Wall of Fame because there hasn't been an inductee put up since 2017, because there's a new stadium that's going to be opening up uh, in 2026, uh, and they're not really quite sure how they're going to handle that Wall of Fame. I hope that they still continue this tradition. I think it's a really mm -hmm. cool, I think it's a really cool local thing to get to do where you get to look up and you see these past legends and some of the things that I really enjoy about it you you get a history lesson out there like Ed Abramski passed away at the age of 88 and most Bills fans probably don't know who Eddie Abramski was he was an original member of the Bills franchise as their athletic trainer he served as athletic trainer for 37 mm -hmm. years and there were players like uh, like uh, so many talented players went through and said there was a story that the Buffalo News did. I'm trying to think who they had quoted. Um, oh, gosh. Uh, Booker Edgerson. That's who it was. Booker Edgerson was quoted about how Eddie Abramski, people just respected him. The rookies came to him. They knew he was going to give them good medical advice and he wasn't going to rush them out there back onto the field if they weren't ready to play, if they needed more time to recuperate. And I feel like it's just such 
a good honor to have someone on the wall of fame because it makes the younger fans engage with history. You know, you're there and you're looking up and you see the number and you're like, wait a minute, who is Booker Edgerson? What was his impact? What did he mean on this team? Who was Joe DeLamalure? There's so many of these legends on the bills that the new fans don't understand or don't know about. So I hope that they find a way to uh, incorporate the wall of fame. Now I'm on the fly reading an article here uh, in the athletic and they're talking about whether the wall of fame uh, would continue at the new stadium. Um, I'm not seeing anything in here about them not discontinuing it. So it seems like, cause they talked about the topic of the wall of fame, what's going to happen to the future of the wall of fame at the new stadium. And th- this reporter from the athletic is not saying anything about hearing that the wall of fame is going to go away. So I really hope that they are able to bring it back. And so people know the process of this, <clears throat> the wall of fame, in, in the way it was intended in 1980, it was formed to, quote, honor former players, administrators, and coaches who played significant roles in the team's history. And there's a committee that is met based off of team personnel and select media members who get together and they vote on who they want to put up on the Wall of Fame. Now, the pandemic forced the Wall of Fame to kind of go into hiatus for a couple years, Um, That's Mm -hmm. why I believe that the group did not meet in 2020 or 2021, but it seems to be common thought that there is going to be a wall of fame at the new stadium and new members will be enshrined. And to go with the opposite of what I said, maybe what they're doing is they're holding off until the new stadium so they can have a massive wall of fame celebration. It would be nice because the Wall of Fame belongs to all of Bill's Mafia. As people know, in 1992, the 12th man was added on the Wall of Fame. So, Jamie, you and I are part of the Wall of Fame. woo Yeah, we are. I wouldn't be sad to see that one go away, though, because that was not a Buffalo Bills original. I believe that came from Texas A&M, which is something that they used. And the term isn't really used anymore. So, yeah, it won't be. Maybe they'll reframe that, that one to be falls. Bill's Mafia when it comes to the I'm stadium. hoping so now that the Pagulas own the trademark on that. So, Jamie, there's 31 names currently on the Wall of Fame. And, and by the way, for this podcast, we are not going to touch the loaded question about do certain members who are currently on the Wall of Fame need to come down off of the Wall of Fame? <laughs> Sorry, I pushed on that one a little bit. <laughs> Pulled at that loose thread, my bad. <laughs> it's a little bit of a sore subject for Bills fans out there. But, you know, there, there's a lot of talented names up here. Amongst the ones you probably know and love, obviously Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Andre Reid, uh, Bruce Smith from those legendary uh, Super Bowl teams of the early to mid-90s. Then you've got lesser known players like Mike Stratton and Tom Sestak and Billy Shaw, uh, the legendary quarterback Joe Ferguson's on here, Bob Kalsu, who was the only active NFL player to die while serving over in Vietnam, uh, was enshrined in 2000. There's Steve Tasker from 2007, Van Miller, the voice of the Bills, along with Bill Pullian. There's some really good names on this list, but there's some names that I think Bills fans want to see up there sooner than later. And I hope this topic really resonates with our audience because Jamie and I are going to go through and give you thoughts on who we want to see put up on the wall of fame, whether it's next year or in 2026 when the new stadium opens and they hopefully have a mass outpouring of support 
for the Wall of Fame. Jamie, I'm going to let you go first. And for the record, before we started recording, I told Jamie, and he agreed, we do not think that we are going to have each other's top pick uh, as our number one selection. So let's see if that could be true. All right. So my first pick, and I've got a you know a few great names here, but I want to go back to the 70s and talk about a member of the electric company, Reggie McKenzie. Remember Reggie McKenzie, the guard? That's an excellent pick. Um, and he played for 10 years for the Bills and was one of the best pulling guards in the league. Make the case for Reggie McKenzie. Well, O.J. Simpson referred to him as his main man for good reason. The guy was a first-team All-Pro in 73 and a second-team All-Pro in 74 and 75. He didn't miss a single start until the 1981 season. So he constantly was out there giving it his all. He was he was a great player. He made the transition from O.J. Simpson to the Joe Cribs years. Go figure. Yeah. He's a great guard. I think he deserves to be on the wall. I'm not sure. So there was some speculation on the internet, which is a dangerous place to go looking for conspiracy theories. But there's some there's some people that were speculating that Reggie McKenzie is not on the wall of fame for the same reasons that Lou Saban and Cookie Gilchrist uh, were not, mm. that there's some sort of personal vendetta with Ralph. I really hope that that gets uh, amended because, yes, the key factor of the electric company, I mean, he helped turn on the juice. I mean, he was voted the top NFL blocking lineman by Pro Football Writers Association in 1973. And he was a class act who really, you know, I know it's it's about on the field, but we're going to talk about some players who made a big difference off the field, too. And Reggie McKenzie was notable for working with Special Olympics and the United Way and in fact, this might dispel the rumor about the acrimony between McKenzie and Ralph Wilson. In 1999, McKenzie received the Ralph C. Wilson Distinguished Service Award for his long and meritorious service to the Buffalo Bills organization. I think that's a fantastic nomination, Jamie. Mm-hmm. Reggie McKenzie deserves to be on that wall of fame. Well, thanks, man. I am excited to see what you lead off with. My guy is somebody who I actually think should be in the NFL Hall of Fame much less the Bills' wall of fame. And he is not in either of those organizations. He should be, and I'm working on a story on him for Buffalo Rumblings. I'm going to throw it back to the AFL team's Butch Bird. He is my first Ah. guy. I feel like, and Jamie, we'll talk about this, but I feel like we have such recency bias as fans, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of great names that players are going to want to put up there from the drought era and the Super Bowl era. But I want to make right this wrong. I want to put Butch Bird on the Wall of Fame. And when you look at the criteria for the Wall of Fame, honoring former players who had a big impact and a big role in Bill's history, Butch Bird is long overdue. He's still living, by the way. He's 80 years old. He would be great to get him on there before he passes. I hope he has many healthy years left. But you have to honor your past with the Wall of Fame. And the fact that Butch Bird only played seven years for the Bills, but he still holds the franchise record for interceptions with 40. He had a back-breaking punt return for a touchdown that gave the Bills a lead for good in the 1965 AFL championship game. I mean, Butch Bird to me is a no-brainer. I agree. And let's not forget his contributions as a coach. He was a defensive backs coach for the Buffalo Bills for many years. That's a good point there. 
the very good point that, you know, you can get two boxes to check off there with both being a great player and a great coach. And I feel like when you talk about the toughness of those teams of the 60s for Lou Saban, people forget about Butch Bird. Um, There's a really good article that was put out by the Buffalo News in April where Butch basically said he hopes it's going to come someday. I don't want to sound conceited, but I think I had a pretty good career. But then he adds this last comment that really gets to you. He goes, I'd like to not have this honor made posthumously. So please, Bill's Wall of Fame committee members, put Butch Bird in the Wall of Fame. He would be a fantastic addition, a class act, and just a really overall solid contributor. So for me, and as a fourth round draft pick too, the Bills got great value for drafting him in 1964. He was a phenomenal talent. That's a really good selection. And it's one that I thought about, uh, but I didn't do enough digging. I think had I read as much of his bio as you just filled us in on, I think I might have uh, might have gone with him also. Here's, here's another key stat, Jamie, and I appreciate you giving some kudos for the research. And I'm going to throw some more at you because I love my guy, Butch Bird. Over a six-year period, he was five-time first-team All-AFL from his rookie year until the AFL-NFL merger. His 40 interceptions, he returned for 666 yards, and he basically, there weren't many game-breaking wide receivers who had big games against him. Just a fantastic selection, five pick sixes. He's on the AFL's all-time second team. His numbers are strong enough for Canton, much less being on the Bills' wall of fame. Well, that's that's a good one. And I have to ask you, how many of these are we going to go through? Let's do three to four. How about that? Okay. That sound good to I, you? I think I think four is a perfect number for me because I, I'm already I'm already getting to number two, I guess, for myself. And that person for me, I'm going to go with the recency bias that you mentioned before. Because, you know, I think putting some of the more recent players on it really gets the fan base fired up. And this guy, man, he was an absolute leader for the Buffalo Bills. He was the guy that the media always went to when they needed quotes. He quickly became a captain. It is Eric Wood. Eric Wood, a great center for the Buffalo Bills. He had a pro Pro Bowl appearance. He was a Walter Payton Man of the Year nomination. Now, unfortunately, he was forced to retire in 2017 when he was supposed to be signing a um, signing a contract extension. Um, and he was really one of the leaders of a some questionable teams, we'll call them respected by his peers, and now he is a broadcaster for the Buffalo Bills because he was always good with that microphone in front of his face. Just the very, very likable Eric Wood should go up. I agree. And and when I say recency bias, Jamie, I just want to go back and say that you know, there's there's going to be plenty of time to bring in. And Eric Wood's a very worthy and deserving choice, as will be, you know, the guy I bring up next. But I just feel like that there's only so much time we have to honor some of the greats from the past. And Mm -hmm. so I'm glad you brought up Reggie McKenzie and me with Butch Bird. And Eric Wood was such a consistent force along that offensive line. I mean, I remember when he got drafted out of Louisville, I wasn't Mm -hmm. sure what to expect. I mean, the Bills had these two youngsters on the line and him and Andy Levitre. 
And they both had really solid careers, but Wood did it all in Buffalo, and he's been an mm-hmm. ambassador beyond his playing days. Great call. Thank you very much. Yeah, he's still heavily involved in, in every aspect with the organization and just seems like a nice guy. He's got that thing going. Also, fellow ginger. <laughs> you guys is look he a out ginger or is he just a blonde? You know, his hair seems to have gotten a little bit lighter and he's also lost like 85 or 90 pounds uh, yeah. since his playing days. He looks svelte these days. Yeah, he does. He, he looks like he's ready to uh, jump back on the field at maybe linebacker. And that was why it was great to get Eric Wood out there because really, you know, he, he did – he got to sniff the playoffs finally uh, after the drought team. Um, such a solid fourth along that offensive line. Uh, the fact that he could shift from right guard to center and be there mm-hmm. for almost a decade and again, battling those injuries, just a great, great selection. So well done, Jamie. Thanks, buddy. Now, I would love to throw it back to an older player, but I feel like we can't have this conversation about Bill's Wall of Famers and obvious names to me without throwing out another recent candidate. And you talk about heart and soul of the team. You talk about somebody who embodied terrible Bills teams, but was still a great warrior on the battlefield. I'm putting up there my man, Kyle Williams. Ah. A guy who I feel like doesn't really need any introduction. I mean, Mm-mm. but he, you talk about somebody who was the face of the Bills. And the, the fact that like, he, you know, he was a fifth round pick out of LSU. He leaves the the, the 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 sun and the warmth of Louisiana to come up to Buffalo, and he was just such a breath of fresh air for the Bills franchise. Over his 13 year career, he stuck with the Bills all 13 years, 183 games, which is seventh most amongst any player in team history, and second most among defensive linemen. He earned six Pro Bowl honors three all-pro selections, he was just a wrecking ball. He would get after the quarterback. He would be great in run pursuit and the ground game. Kyle Williams was a fan favorite, so I say put him up sooner than later. Absolutely, I agree. And he did it all while having T-Rex-length arms. (laughs) (laughs) When when he – I tell you, man, watching those little T-Rex arms – pick up his kids in the locker room after Andy Dalton to Tyler Boyd gets the bills into the playoffs. I mean, I wasn't crying. Somebody was chopping onions nearby. (laughs) (laughs) That was a great moment, right? And you know what the beautiful part is because of the way that Facebook's algorithm works every new year's Eve, my, in my memories, that video that I shared pops up and I get to relive a great glorious moment. One more time. It's just such a, a joyous occasion to bring in the new year watching the bills go to the playoffs so i'm going to stick with the same era even though uh, my heart is telling me to go back to the history a little bit so for my next it's going to be the guy who is my second all-time favorite buffalo bill and you know what's coming. I here. feel it. I, uh, I was going to, I thought you were going to go this way. Tell us. Yes. It's Fred Jackson. Yes. <laughs> Fr- Fred X. I have said so many times, if he were on a good team, he would have been a 2000 yard rusher. He could just do everything well. And he was a professional at that. Now, 
it worked out pretty well for the guy from Co College who was basically signed because it was Marv Levy's um, alma mater. He toiled around on the practice squad for a couple of years before finally getting his his opportunity. And if you remember, the Bills drafted uh, they, they drafted Marshawn Lynch with Fred Jackson already on the roster. They drafted. C.J. Spiller with both Fred Jackson and Marshawn Lynch already on the roster. That is not good roster construction. (laughs) A lot of first round picks on the same position. Not good. And the cream that rose to the top was this guy who nobody expected to even make the team. But once he did make the team, oh, he was a force. He is now third all time in rushing yards for the Bills, fourth in rushing TDs. And he's fifth all-time yards for scrimmage with the Bills and is the only player in history to amass a 1,000 yards as a rusher and as a return man in a single season. And according to the article I'm looking at, uh, for that, he has his jersey on display in the Football Hall of Fame. That was a 2009 season, by the way, that Freddie Jackson did something that had never been done before. What a great stat to pull. And Freddie's one of those guys who you just like, I remember so many times the Bills would be scraping and battling hard, trying to stay in the game. And there's Freddie getting the crowd up and firing them up and breaking through a run. The fact that he was never respected, um, I feel like by the pundits of the National Football League, but the Bills Mm -hmm. knew exactly what they had. He was such an underdog. How can you not like Fred Jackson being on your team? Well, I'm saying, and you know, the thing about him is there was no one thing he did well. He didn't have blazing speed. He didn't have size. He wasn't the quickest side to side, but next thing you know, he gets a handoff And he's already to the second level of the defense. And it's like, these teams have terrible offensive lines. How did he do that? (laughs) But he just had that vision and that instinct that you can't quantify. How did he possibly do that? I mean, that's exactly what Freddie Jackson brought to the table. I love the nomination of Fred Jackson. And, you know, Jamie, this is the fun conversation because there's going to be – we haven't disagreed yet on our nominations. But the guy I'm going to bring up next to you, I could stick with this era – from the drought. I could go back to the Super Bowl era, but I'm going to throw it back a little further to someone who I feel like gets lost in the shuffle of the great Bills players. And we've mentioned one of his teammates, but I feel like there's just as competent and talented of an offensive lineman we need to bring to this table here. Joe Devlin. Yes, that is a guy that was absolutely on my list. And I'm so glad you brought him up. Thanks, buddy. Well, I because I, again, I want to give credit to where credit's due. And when you look at the durability, offensive linemen can have pretty short shelf lives. They can battle injuries. They can have bad luck, whatever the case might be. Joe Devlin started 191 games for the Buffalo Bills, 177 in a row. He did miss a game after his rookie season, but he played an incredibly important role on those Buffalo Bills teams with Joe Ferguson towards a tail end of the OJ Simpson era. But then he also came back and I know the bills of the mid eighties were awful before Jim Kelly got there. 
Well, Joe mm-hmm. Devlin was one of the, the 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 points you could latch onto as far as consistency and just being a really solid performer, game in and game out. Longevity needs to be factored in here. He played the fourth most games in franchise history. The three ahead of him are all on the wall of fame. Andre Reed, Bruce Smith, and Jim Richter. Let's put Joe Devlin in there for his consistency, his longevity, and being a great ambassador. And in addition, he played a few different positions on on the offensive line. He spent time at tackle. He spent time at both guard positions. And, you know, he was playing in an era when the pass rushers became fierce. The New York sack exchange, when Joe Klecko and Mark Gastineau were putting up 20 sacks a season between the two, or each, not between the two of them. They were each putting up 20 sacks a season, and they did not like going up against Joe Devlin. Joe Devlin was a hardcore, bring your lunch pail, get the job done no matter what it takes kind of kind of guy. And you're right, he blocked for some bad quarterbacks like the Bruce Mathesons and Matt Koflers of the world, but he made it all the way until the Bills became legitimate again. Yep, his last year with the Bills was 1989. He had 14 years with the team. They only had a winning record four times. And I know he never made the Pro Bowl, but I feel like he was exactly what you said, victimized by playing on really bad teams. You know, he led the way for... What is it here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 1,000 yard seasons for the Bills. You have obscure names like Terry Miller, and then you get your Joe Bell, your Greg Bells, your Joe Cribbses, and even Thurman Thomas in 89. Uh, Joe Joe Devlin was the the starting right tackle for those teams. He, He only missed five games total during his career for Buffalo. Longevity needs to be rewarded for the Wall of Fame. And, you know, there's a great story. I'm reading this article where, uh, may he rest in peace, Kent Hull was talking about how when the Bills broke through and finally had their success with Jim Kelly and the Kagon offense, it was due to veterans like Joe Devlin and Fred Smurlis, who had been through the downtimes that they felt like we've made it. Here's how we can play in big games. And don't take this for granted because you never know when you're going to be back in the playoffs again. That's why for me, Joe Devlin underappreciated a great candidate. Put him on the wall. Absolutely. Great selection. I, I'm I'm thrilled you mentioned him because I wasn't going to have enough room for him. He was going to end up becoming an honorable mention for me. So my number my number one. Are you ready for it? Oh, wait. Number one? I've named off three folks. I was going... So we should clarify. Mine were one, two, three, and I had my fourth one left. So you said you've done them four, three, two? I I have. Four, three, two. This is the one that I want the most on the Wall of Fame. Fire away. All right. Stu Barber. Whoa. Okay. Is that the one you had? No, it's not at all. I mean, I did a little research on him, but... Tell us a little bit about somebody who played for the Bills again, starting back in the early 60s and was there almost through the whole decade. Yeah. Um, Now, he was drafted as a linebacker, but he got moved to offensive line. And he was one of the all-time greats in the AFL. Uh, He was a five-time AFL All-Star and selected five consecutive years. Um, 
and then after after he made that switch to offensive line, that's where he stayed. He didn't miss games. Between 1961 and 1969, he missed only one game. But it's not just his it's not just his contributions as a player. Clearly, he was a great player in the AFL and was part of those Bills um, championship teams. But then he joined the Buffalo Bills front office, where he was the assistant general manager from 76 to 79, and then became their general manager from 79 to 82, and eventually he retired. He was a Buffalo Bill for life from 1961 to 1983, and is also a member of the AFL's all-time second team. That guy has some bona fides. Yeah, that's somebody who, my gosh, I mean, again, you talk about educating the fan base on the players that came before them. I'm guessing very few people listening to this podcast know who Stu Barber is. So thank you for shining a light on his incredible talent, the great story that he played on both of the AFL championship teams, and the fact that he switched positions and was a valuable front office contributor. What made Stu Barber be somebody that really was your, your you must get him in right away, more so than like a Reggie McKenzie? Um, I, I think because as time goes on, players are more likely to be forgotten. And Reggie McKenzie was more recent, and I would love to get somebody like Stu Barber on the wall while there are still fans around that got to see him play who can appreciate that. The other side of it is his contributions off the field to the organization, I feel, are tremendous. And that's something that, you know, we have this like whole hero worship thing that goes on and, you know, athletes are are put up on a level above the rest of society. Well, you know, this guy did some good work after he was an athlete, and I want that brought into the spotlight too. I like it. Being a character guy, being a contributor off the field, those things matter. So, Jamie, just to recap before we drop my final pick, and again, we we did this in contrasting styles, but Jamie's picks... (laughs) Why don't you recap for us four, three, two, and one? Who are your top guys to go into the Wall of Fame? Reggie McKenzie. And then who else did I? I don't remember my number two. <laughs> uh, Eric Wood. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm glad one of us is paying attention. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I could have written it down and I didn't. Okay. Who's Reggie McKenzie? Eric Wood, Fred Jackson. And Stu Barber, three of my four were offensive linemen. How lame is that? It goes to show, Jamie, that you care about getting the underappreciated, the recognition they deserve. Well, thank you for putting a positive spin on it. Anytime I need you to polish a turd, I'm going to send you a message. (laughs) Just don't send me the turd in the mail, please. (laughs) And so Jamie gave you his in order of four, three, two, and one with Stu Barber being the guy he wants to get in the wall of fame. Most pressing. I gave them in reverse order and I will maintain that order here. And my recap, Butch bird to me needs to be put on the wall of fame yesterday. He was my number one candidate. Number two is Kyle Williams. Number three was the great offensive lineman, Joe Devlin. And Jamie, I really struggled with this fourth one because I could only pick one. And this is somebody who I feel like is going to have some time to get his recognition. 
But when you are talking about somebody who deserves to be on the wall of fame, someone who embodied the Bills franchise on the field and off the field, someone who was the face of a franchise for a team that didn't deserve to have a face of a franchise, Brian Mormon, the team's Uh. MVP as a punter for 12 years, 2001 to 2013. I would be remiss if I didn't put Brian Mormon on this list. The fact that, you know, Brian Mormon, let's just recap for a second. Those Bills teams that he played for were arguably some of the worst in franchise history. Yes. One of the key weapons the Bills had was flipping the field position when their feeble offense went three and out. Brian Mormon would boom a 49-yarder, pinning them at the five-yard line and giving the defense, which was pretty decent for some of those years, a chance to be competitive. He was on the NFL's all-decade team for the 2000s, the only player on that team that didn't make a single playoff appearance. He holds the record for longest punt in a season and the second longest. He had two punts of 80-plus yards during his 12 years with the Bills. And even more impressive than that, he had a perfect passer rating twice Mm -hmm. on fake punts. Brian Mormon could run for a first down on a fake punt. He could throw for a first down on a fake punt, and he could pin you at your own goal line. Brian Mormon, to me, is the number four pick for me on the Wall of Fame. I I really like that one because Brian Mormon, it's sad when your best player for an entire decade is a punter, but that was the hand we were dealt as fans. And that being the case, he was one of the most respected special teams players of this century, Bill Belichick absolutely loves Brian Mormon. And he was exciting. Like you said, he would take off and run with the ball and he had world-class speed. And he was one of those guys that made others look like they were standing still. I wonder if he could have made it as a kick returner, honestly. I mean, he was fearless, you know, that he was definitely somebody who would put his neck out there and try to go for the extra couple of yards. And I think he might have had a decent career as like, a, I don't know, like a, a slot receiver, um, maybe like an H back type of gimmick player like Isaiah McKenzie. Um, and, and, you know, as for everything Mormon did on the field, his work curing mm-hmm. pediatric cancer a subject that's very near and dear to both of our hearts is something that really resonated with us. There were times, Jamie, when the bills would be losing 40 to three and Mormon would boom a punt or they would talk about his charitable contributions. And you would just hear the stadium MVP, MVP, MVP (laughs) to me. I don't know. I just, I love the guy. I'll always love him. I'm glad the bills brought him back for that last year after unceremoniously cutting him. So me, Brian Mormon is my fourth of my four selections for the wall of fame. I like it. I I like it a lot. Now there are some honorable mentions to go around. Um, There's some very deserving players that are still out there. Before Jamie, before you get to your honorable mention, I want to bring up one name and have a quick discussion, whether he should or shouldn't be on the wall of fame. Hmm. Okay. And he might have been one of your honorable mentions. Cornelius Get Bennett. It. No. Is it for the off-the-field conduct? It is for the off-the-field conduct. Because yes. that stuff matters to me. And I know – so for fans that are listening, Cornelius Bennett, the biscuit, was a legendary force on those Super Bowl-era teams. 
But the fact that he was convicted of sexual assault, to me, and it's the same reason why I feel strongly that there could be a case made to take down number 32 uh, in the new stadium. I said I wasn't going to talk about it, but it matters how you conduct yourself. And to me, what the biscuit did on the field, legendary. I don't approve anything Mm -hmm. of what happened off the field. He's still a good ambassador for the team. You know, he still shows up. You know, it's he's a big part of the Bills alumni process. But I don't think that you can honor him at this point. He is a registered sex offender, and there are still accusations coming out against him. And as we've seen with the Deshaun Watson situation, I mean, the league is finally getting wise and and handing out punishments. So I'm with you. You cannot honor Cornelius Bennett until his name is cleared entirely or a lot of time has passed and a lot of work has been done to repair that reputation by giving back to survivors of sexual assault. For me, he's a no at this time. I'm in agreement with you on that. You know, it's you don't want to be in a situation where you have to consider taking somebody off. So just play your cards right and don't put them on in the first place. And then you, you avoid that situation entirely. It's wise words, Jamie, wise words on someone who, if there weren't for those transgressions, he would be a a lock, I feel like, but you've got to take in the whole body of work. So I'm glad we're in agreement on that. Who is on your honorable mentions? If there was a fifth spot, it would have been Eric Moulds for me. Uh, the, The guy up until Stefan Diggs had the all-time record for yards in a season, in, for catches in a season. The guy was a force. I think he'll eventually get up there. I love it. That's that's one of those guys I thought long and hard about making the team. Um, he just missed the cut. I'm glad you gave him the recognition for honorable mention. For my guy, Jamie, he's probably someone you might take uh, umbrance with. Uh, but I'm going to put him out there anyway. You might like it because of the position. You might not, not like it because of how he built his reputation uh, as being. You, I think you might think he's overvalued, but I'm going to put him out there anyway. Ruben Brown. Interesting, because I thought about him long and hard, and I always thought he was overrated. Apparently, everybody around me does not. Um, but it seems like he had his best years with a different team, doesn't it? He was very solid in Chicago, no doubt about it. But after making the all-rookie team in 95, he got eight straight Pro Bowl selections. Now, maybe that's because the voters thought that somebody from the Bills had to make it, and he was just as good of a candidate as anybody else in those post-Jim Kelly years. But I don't know. I think Ruben Brown is, looking back on it, I think he might be undervalued. He might be one of those guys who has better recognition and notoriety nationally because the local fan base just didn't fall in love with the guy. But I think what he did, you know, the fact that he was a member of the bills all time team, he started every single game in which he dressed and he was a three time Walter Payton man of the year award nominee for his work in the community. So I have no problem with Ruben Brown. Those are some pretty good arguments. Very good arguments. It's hard, Jamie. There's a lot of players that we could have gone through. Um, there's, there's, and maybe we'll do another one of these, um, you know, down the road. But it was fun to get out there and talk about the Buffalo Bills Wall of Fame. We want to hear from you now. You've heard us drone on for 40 minutes about our Wall of Fame candidates. Who do you think is the most deserving person to be on the Wall of Fame? Give us a couple. We gave you four plus an honorable mention. 
You can comment on this article on buffalorumblings.com. You can also get involved on Twitter. Again, Jamie is at the Jamie D'Amico, and I am at John Boccasino. Jamie, great job as always, buddy. Glad to have you back. Buddy, it is great to be back. It's like a, a fresh spring morning being able to sit behind the mic and talk to you again. Always a fun conversation. We will come up with more off-season content, but we wanted to have a little fun detour here during the off-season talking about the Wall of Fame. Please, again, give us your feedback. Subscribe and share this podcast with your Bills Mafia members, and we appreciate you checking us out. For Jamie D'Amico, I'm John Boccasino. Have a great weekend. 